Chapter Three of Astoria, or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains, by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Fur trade in the Pacific, American coasting voyages, Russian enterprises, discovery of the Columbia River, Carver's project to found a settlement there, Mackenzie's expedition, Lewis and Clark's journey across the Rocky Mountains mr astor's grand commercial scheme his correspondence on the subject with mr jefferson his negotiations with the northwest company his steps to carry his scheme into effect while the various companies we have noticed were pushing their enterprises far and wide in the wilds of canada and along the course of the great western waters other adventurers intent on the same objects were traversing the watery wastes of the pacific and skirting the northwest coast of america the last voyage of that renowned but unfortunate discoverer captain cook had made known the vast quantities of the sea otter to be found along that coast and the immense prices to be obtained for its fur in china it was as if a new gold coast had been discovered individuals from various countries dashed into this lucrative traffic so that in the year seventeen ninety two there were twenty-one vessels under different flags plying along the coast and trading with the natives the greater part of them were american and owned by boston merchants they generally remained on the coast and about the adjacent seas for two years carrying on as wandering and adventurous a commerce on the water as did the traders and trappers on land their trade extended along the whole coast from california to the high northern latitudes they would run in near shore anchor and wait for the natives to come off in their canoes with peltries the trade exhausted at one place they would up anchor and off to another in this way they would consume the summer and when autumn came on would run down to the sandwich islands and winter in some friendly and plentiful harbor in the following year they would resume their summer trade commencing at california and proceeding north and having in the course of the two seasons collected a sufficient cargo of peltries would make the best of their way to china here they would sell their furs take in teas nankeens and other merchandise and return to boston after an absence of two or three years the people however who entered most extensively and effectively in the fur trade of the pacific were the russians instead of making casual voyages in transient ships they established regular trading-houses in the high latitudes along the northwest coast of america and upon the chain of the aleutian islands between kamchatka and the promontory of alaska to promote and protect these enterprises a company was incorporated by the russian government with exclusive privileges and a capital of two hundred sixty thousand pounds sterling and the sovereignty of that part of the american continent along the coast of which the posts had been established was claimed by the russian crown on the plea that the land had been discovered and occupied by its subjects as china was the grand mart for the furs collected in these quarters the russians had the advantage over their competitors in the trade the latter had to take their peltries to canton which however was a mere receiving mart from whence they had to be distributed over the interior of the empire and sent to the northern parts where there was the chief consumption 
the russians on the contrary carried their furs by a shorter voyage directly to the northern parts of the chinese empire thus being able to afford them in the market without the additional cost of internal transportation we come now to the immediate field of operation of the great enterprise we have undertaken to illustrate among the american ships which traded along the northwest coast in seventeen ninety two was the columbia captain gray of boston in the course of her voyage she discovered the mouth of a large river in latitude forty six degrees nineteen minutes north entering it with some difficulty on account of sandbars and breakers she came to anchor in a spacious bay a boat was well manned and sent on shore to a village on the beach but all the inhabitants fled excepting the aged and infirm the kind manner in which these were treated and the presents given them gradually lured back the others and a friendly intercourse took place they had never seen a ship or a white man when they had first described the columbia they had supposed it a floating island then some monster of the deep but when they saw the boat putting for shore with human beings on board they considered them cannibals sent by the great spirit to ravage the country and devour the inhabitants captain gray did not ascend the river farther than the bay in question which continues to bear his name after putting to sea he fell in with the celebrated discoverer vancouver and informed him of his discovery furnishing him with a chart which he had made of the river vancouver visited the river and his lieutenant broughton explored it by the aid of captain gray's chart ascending it upwards of one hundred miles until within view of a snowy mountain to which he gave the name of mount hood which it still retains the existence of this river however was known long before the visits of gray and vancouver but the information concerning it was vague and indefinite being gathered from the reports of indians it was spoken of by travellers as the oregon and as the great river of the west a spanish ship is said to have been wrecked at the mouth several of the crew of which lived for some time among the natives the columbia however is believed to be the first ship that made a regular discovery and anchored within its waters and it has since generally borne the name of that vessel as early as seventeen sixty three shortly after the acquisition of the canadas by great britain captain jonathan carver who had been in the british provisional army projected a journey across the continent between the forty-third and forty-sixth degrees of northern latitude to the shores of the pacific ocean his objects were to ascertain the breadth of the continent at its broadest part and to determine on some place on the shores of the pacific where the government might establish a post to facilitate the discovery of a northwest passage or a communication between hudson's bay and the pacific ocean this place he presumed would be somewhere about the straits of anion at which point he supposed the oregon disembogued itself it was his opinion also that a settlement on this extremity of america would disclose new sources of trade promote many useful discoveries and open a more direct communication with china and the english settlements in the east indies 
than that by the Cape of Good Hope or the Straits of Magellan. This enterprising and intrepid traveller was twice baffled in individual efforts to accomplish this great journey. In 1774 he was joined in the scheme by Richard Whitworth, a member of Parliament, and a man of wealth. Their enterprise was projected on a broad and bold plan. They were to take with them fifty or sixty men, artificers and mariners. With these they were to make their way up one of the branches of the Missouri, explore the mountains for the source of the Oregon, or River of the West, and sail down that river to its supposed exit, near the Straits of Anion. Here they were to erect a fort, and build the vessels necessary to carry their discoveries by sea into effect. Their plan had the sanction of the British government, and grants and other requisites were nearly completed, when the breaking out of the American Revolution once more defeated the undertaking. The expedition of Sir Alexander Mackenzie in 1793 across the continent to the Pacific Ocean, which he reached in latitude 52 degrees 20 minutes 48 seconds, again suggested the possibility of linking together the trade of both sides of the continent. In latitude 52 degrees 30 minutes, he had descended a river for some distance which flowed towards the south, and was called by the natives Tecuche Tese, and which he erroneously supposed to be the Columbia it was afterwards ascertained that it emptied itself in latitude forty-nine degrees whereas the mouth of the columbia is about three degrees further south when mackenzie some years subsequently published an account of his expeditions he suggested the policy of opening an intercourse between the atlantic and pacific oceans and forming regular establishments through the interior and at both extremes as well as along the coasts and islands by this means, he observed, the entire command of the fur trade of North America might be obtained from latitude 48 north to the Pole, excepting that portion held by the Russians. For as to the American adventurers who had hitherto enjoyed the traffic along the northwest coast, they would instantly disappear, he added, before a well-regulated trade. A scheme of this kind, however, was too vast and hazardous for individual enterprise. It could only be undertaken by a company under the sanction and protection of a government, and as there might be a clashing of claims between the Hudson's Bay and Northwest Company, the one holding by right of charter, the other by right of possession, he proposed that the two companies should coalesce in this great undertaking. The long-cherished jealousies of these two companies, however, were too deep and strong to allow them to listen to such counsel. In the meantime, the attention of the American government was attracted to the subject, and the memorable expedition under Messrs. Lewis and Clark fitted out. These gentlemen, in 1804, accomplished the enterprise which had been projected by Carver and Whitworth in 1774. They ascended the Missouri passed through the stupendous gates of the Rocky Mountains, hitherto unknown to white men, discovered and explored the upper waters of the Columbia, and followed that river down to its mouth, where their countryman, Gray, had anchored, about twelve years previously. Here they passed the winter, and returned across the mountains in the following spring. The reports published by them of their expedition, 
demonstrated the practicability of establishing a line of communication across the continent from the atlantic to the pacific ocean it was then that the idea presented itself to the mind of mr astor of grasping with his individual hand this great enterprise which for years had been dubiously yet desirously contemplated by powerful associations and maternal governments for some time he revolved the idea in his mind gradually extending and maturing his plans as his means of executing them augmented the main feature of his scheme was to establish a line of trading posts along the missouri and the columbia to the mouth of the latter where was to be founded the chief trading-house or mart inferior posts would be established in the interior and on all the tributary streams of the columbia to trade with the indians these posts would draw their supplies from the main establishment and bring to it the peltries they collected coasting craft would be built and fitted out also at the mouth of the columbia to trade at favorable seasons all along the northwest coast and return with the proceeds of their voyages to this place of deposit thus all the indian trade both of the interior and the coast would converge to this point and thence derive its sustenance a ship was to be sent annually from new york to this main establishment with reinforcements and supplies and with merchandise suited to the trade it would take on board the furs collected during the preceding year carry them to canton invest the proceeds in the rich merchandise of china and return thus freighted to new york as in extending the american trade along the coast to the northward it might be brought into the vicinity of the russian fur company and produce a hostile rivalry it was part of the plan of mr astor to conciliate the good will of that company by the most amicable and beneficial arrangements the russian establishment was chiefly dependent for its supplies upon transient trading vessels from the united states these vessels however were often of more harm than advantage being owned by private adventurers or casual voyagers who cared only for present profit and had no interest in the permanent prosperity of the trade they were reckless in their dealings with the natives and made no scruple of supplying them with firearms in this way several fierce tribes in the vicinity of the russian posts or within the range of their trading excursions were furnished with deadly means of warfare and rendered troublesome and dangerous neighbors the russian government had made representations to that of the united states of these malpractices on the part of its citizens and urged to have this traffic in arms prohibited but as it did not infringe any municipal law our government could not interfere yet still it regarded with solicitude a traffic which if persisted in might give offence to russia at that time almost the only friendly power to us in this dilemma the government had applied to mr astor as one conversant in this branch of trade for information that might point out a way to remedy the evil this circumstance had suggested to him the idea of supplying the russian establishment regularly by means of the annual ship that should visit the settlement at the mouth of the columbia 
or oregon by this means the casual trading vessels would be excluded from those parts of the coast where their malpractices were so injurious to the russians such is a brief outline of the enterprise projected by mr astor but which continually expanded in his mind indeed it is due to him to say that he was not actuated by mere motives of individual profit he was already wealthy beyond the ordinary desires of man but he now aspired to that honourable fame which is awarded to men of similar scope of mind who by their great commercial enterprises have enriched nations peopled wildernesses and extended the bounds of empire he considered his projected establishment at the mouth of the columbia as the emporium to an immense commerce as a colony that would form the germ of a wide civilization that would in fact carry the american population across the rocky mountains and spread it along the shores of the pacific as it already animated the shores of the atlantic as mr astor by the magnitude of his commercial and financial relations and the vigor and scope of his self-taught mind had elevated himself into the consideration of government and the communion and correspondence with leading statesmen he at an early period communicated his schemes to president jefferson soliciting the countenance of government how highly they were esteemed by that eminent man we may judge by the following passage written by him some time afterwards i remember well having invited your proposition on this subject and encouraged it with the assurance of every facility and protection which the government could properly afford i considered as a great public acquisition the commencement of a settlement on that point of the western coast of america and looked forward with gratification to the time when its descendants should have spread themselves through the whole length of that coast covering it with free and independent americans unconnected with us but by the ties of blood and interest and enjoying like us the rights of self-government the cabinet joined with mr jefferson in warm approbation of the plan and held out assurance of every protection that could consistently with general policy be afforded mr astor now prepared to carry his scheme into prompt execution he had some competition however to apprehend and guard against the northwest company acting feebly and partially upon the suggestions of its former agent sir alexander mackenzie had pushed one or two advanced trading posts across the rocky mountains into a tract of country visited by that enterprising traveller and since named new caledonia this tract lay about two degrees north of the columbia and intervened between the territories of the united states and those of russia its length was about five hundred fifty miles and its breadth from the mountains to the pacific from three hundred to three hundred and fifty geographic miles should the northwest company persist in extending their trade in that quarter their competition might be of serious detriment to the plans of mr astor it is true they would contend with him to a vast disadvantage from the checks and restrictions to which they were subjected they were straitened on one side by the rivalry of the hudson's bay company 
then they had no good post on the pacific where they could receive supplies by sea for their establishments beyond the mountains nor if they had one could they ship their furs thence to china that great mart for peltries the chinese trade being comprised in the monopoly of the east india company their posts beyond the mountains had to be supplied in yearly expeditions like caravans from montreal and the furs conveyed back in the same way by long precarious and expensive routes across the continent mr astor on the contrary would be able to supply his proposed establishment at the mouth of columbia by sea and to ship the furs collected there directly to china so as to undersell the northwest company in the great chinese market still the competition of two rival companies west of the rocky mountains could not but prove detrimental to both and fraught with those evils both to the trade and to the indians that had attended similar rivalries in the canadas to prevent any contest of the kind therefore he made known his plan to the agents of the northwest company and proposed to interest them to the extent of one-third in the trade thus to be opened some correspondence and negotiation ensued the company were aware of the advantages which would be possessed by mr astor should he be able to carry his scheme into effect but they anticipated a monopoly of the trade beyond the mountains by their establishments in new caledonia and were loath to share it with an individual who had already proved a formidable competitor in the atlantic trade they hoped too by a timely move to secure the mouth of the columbia before mr astor would be able to put his plans into operation and that key to the internal trade once in their possession the whole country would be at their command after some negotiation and delay therefore they declined the proposition that had been made to them but subsequently dispatched a party for the mouth of the columbia to establish a post there before any expedition sent out by mr astor might arrive in the meantime mr astor finding his overtures rejected proceeded fearlessly to execute his enterprise in face of the whole power of the northwest company his main establishment once planted at the mouth of the columbia he looked with confidence to ultimate success being able to reinforce and supply it amply by sea he would push his interior posts in every direction up the rivers and along the coast supplying the natives at a lower rate and thus gradually obliging the northwest company to give up the competition relinquish new caledonia and retire to the other side of the mountains he would then have possession of the trade not merely of the columbia and its tributaries but of the regions farther north quite to the russian possessions such was a part of his brilliant and comprehensive plan he now proceeded with all diligence to procure proper agents and coadjutors habituated to the indian trade and to the life of the wilderness among the clerks of the northwest company were several of great capacity and experience who had served out their probationary terms but who either through lack of interest and influence or a want of vacancies had not been promoted they were consequently much dissatisfied and ready for any employment in which their talents and acquirements might be turned to better account 
mr astor made his overtures to several of these persons and three of them entered into his views one of these mr alexander mackay had accompanied sir alexander mackenzie in both of his expeditions to the northwest coast of america in seventeen eighty nine and seventeen ninety three the other two were duncan mcdougall and donald mackenzie to these were subsequently added mr wilson price hunt of new jersey as this gentleman was a native-born citizen of the united states a person of great probity and worth he was selected by mr astor to be his chief agent and to represent him in the contemplated establishment on the twenty third of june eighteen ten articles of agreement were entered into between mr astor and those four gentlemen acting for themselves and for the several persons who had already agreed to become or should thereafter become associated under the firm of the pacific fur company according to these articles mr astor was to be at the head of the company and to manage its affairs in new york he was to furnish vessels goods provisions arms ammunition and all other requisites for the enterprise at first cost and charges provided that they did not at any time involve an advance of more than four hundred thousand dollars the stock of the company was to be divided into a hundred equal shares with the profits accruing thereon fifty shares were to be at the disposition of mr astor and the other fifty to be divided among the partners and their associates mr astor was to have the privilege of introducing other persons into the connection as partners two of whom at least should be conversant with the indian trade and none of them entitled to more than three shares a general meeting of the company was to be held annually at columbia river for the investigation and regulation of its affairs at which absent members might be represented and might vote by proxy under certain specified conditions the association if successful was to continue for twenty years but the parties had full power to abandon and dissolve it within the first five years should it be found unprofitable for this term mr astor covenanted to bear all the loss that might be incurred after which it was to be borne by all the partners in proportion to their respective shares the parties of the second part were to execute faithfully such duties as might be assigned to them by a majority of the company on the northwest coast and to repair to such place or places as the majority might direct an agent appointed for the term of five years was to reside at the principal establishment on the northwest coast and wilson price hunt was the one chosen for the first term should the interests of the concern at any time require his absence a person was to be appointed in general meeting to take his place such were the leading conditions of this association we shall now proceed to relate the various hardy and eventful expeditions by sea and land to which it gave rise end of chapter three